Matthew 24, we're going to look at verses 15 through 16. The message is entitled, The Detestable Antichrist. Now, we come to the Olivet Discourse, the fifth and last major discourse of Jesus recorded by Matthew. Listen, Matthew 24, 25. Peanut butter jam, tacos and beans, they go together. You cannot separate them. But it's important to understand the context. So in view of this, I want to paint clearly the context of these two chapters so you can interpret the content properly. And it takes discipline because there's so many things that can lead us in all kinds of rabbit trails. The two chapters go together, as I said. You cannot separate them. The entire chapter deals with the event, 24 and 25. They deal with the events of the seven-year tribulation and the second coming. Very important. Tribulation and great tribulation are clearly um, uh, stated, as we're going to see, verse 8, 9, 13, 15, 16, other portions. Very clear, tribulation, great tribulation. And then you have the second coming clearly declared. You have it in verse 14, um, uh, verse 27, 28, 29, 30. Um, 40, 41, many portions there that we're going to mark out. So tribulation, great tribulation, and second coming is what we have in these two chapters. Now, even when you go into chapter 25, the ten virgins depicted here are the gathering of Israel, invited to the wedding supper on earth, because Jesus is returning with his church the wedding takes place in heaven, the wedding supper takes place on earth, and the invitees are those who have gone through the seven-year tribulation. I say this because often, especially in Calvary chapels, we used to teach the ten virgins were for the rapture, completely out of context. And I'll prove that to you, okay? Now, we're not teaching anything different. We're just adjusting the focus because it's out of context. And I've done this three or four times on different things. And if you've been with me for the past almost 40 years, you understand what I'm talking about. Okay? We study to show ourselves approved to God, not to man. And when we're wrong, we change it. No big deal. Now, the people Matthew is addressing, here's a very important, are Jews. Not the Gentiles, not the church. He wrote his gospel to present Jesus as king of the Jews. If you've been with us, we've been in Matthew a long, long time. Okay? Some interpret, let me call your attention to verse 36 of chapter 24. Some interpret verse 36 as the rapture, but it is out of context. Listen carefully what it says. But of the day and the hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. This is not the rapture but the day of the Lord that occurs at the same time. He's writing to the Jew. Was the Jew promised rapture? No. What were they looking for? The day of the Lord. The day of the Lord and the rapture happen at the same time. The rapture takes place, the day of the Lord begins. Context, context. Jewish ground. Jewish ground. Okay? Now, verse 36 refers back to verse 34. Listen, assuredly I say to you, this generation will by no means pass away till all these things take place. No man knows the day or the hour when all these things of the seven-year tribulation take place, which is the day of the Lord. 
People isolate verses out of context and then they give it a subjective interpretation. You cannot do that. Both the rapture and the day of the Lord occur at the very same time. Is that clear? Okay? Now, look at verse 40 and 41. And these are the problem scriptures that are always twisted. Some also interpret verse 40 and 41 as the rapture. Out of context again. It is the second coming. Listen to it. Then two men will be in the field. One will be taken, the other left. Two women will be in the grinding at the mill. And one will be taken, the other left. But notice, it is the result of the previous verse. The previous verse, verse 39, and, and did not know until the flood came, took them all away. Listen. So also will the, at the coming of the Son of Man. That's the second coming. Then comes one taken, one left. How can you put the rapture there? You cannot. You cannot back and go back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, okay? Very important. So, that gives you the background to Matthew 24 and 25. The verses I pointed out are the ones that have been interpreted out of context. And that's why some people teach post-tribulation that the church will go through the tribulation because they do not put this in its context. Okay? No problem. They are the Lord. Jewish mind, they are the Lord. Church, rapture. Both at the same time. Simple. Okay? Now, now let's look at our text. We want to look at the warning of Jesus to the Jewish nation for the time that the Antichrist will deceive them. And it's characterized by three things. And it is found here in verses 15 and 16. Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken by Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place, whoever reads, let him understand. Then let those... Oh, I'm sorry. We're just going to stop right there. Let them understand. Verse 15 and 16. That's all we're looking at. Now, this text is characterized by three things. First, we have... The person regarding the Antichrist, the beginning of verse 15. Second, we see the posture regarding the Antichrist, the remainder of 15. And thirdly, you have the panic regarding the Antichrist in verse 16. So the person, the posture, and the panic. Let's begin with the person regarding the Antichrist. Notice it says, therefore, when you see the abomination desolation spoken by Daniel, the prophet. The context is most important to properly interpret verse 15 in its proper context again. Notice Jesus has just uh, pronounced with a broken heart uh, the lamentable words of judgment over the city of Jerusalem um, for her treacherous dealing with God and murdering her messengers. Back in chapter 23, this is where this chapter begins. Chapter 23, verse 37. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. All right? Jerusalem was God's city. Clearly through Chronicles, Daniel, Zechariah, many others. Jesus, notice, points out the magnitude of their sin by God's diligent persistency to turn and protect them. He says in verse 37 of 23, How often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks, but under her wings. God wanted to care for them, protect them. They, this reveals God's incredible patience, his love for the Jew and for the city. 
Notice in 23:37 at the end there, Jesus quotes their words of willful rebellion and rejection of God and their Messiah. But you were not willing. Whoa. God did not predestine them to reject him. They chose and decided to reject him. God respected and honored their ongoing rebellious hearts to not be one with God. Wow, God is powerful. He can make you be snuffed out right now. (laughs) Gives you free will and choice. Doesn't force you to love him. Doesn't force you to serve him. Man. Jesus then pronounced his rejection of the Jewish nation in 23, 38 through 39. The devastation of her future judgment. See, your house is left to you desolate. Verse 38. Your house in contrast to my house. Matthew twenty-one thirteen. The word desolate means solitary, uninhabited, deserted, like a wilderness. And that's exactly what took place after 70 AD. The declaration of the future comfort of Israel follows. For I say to you, you shall see me no more till you say, blessed is you who comes in the name of the Lord. Verse 39. It's been 2,000 years so far. Wow. At the end of the great tribulation, this is where the, what this fits. When you say, blessed you, comes the name of the Lord. Now, verse 1 of 24. Jesus proceeded to leave the temple for the last time. Then Jesus went out of the party from the temple. And his disciples came and showed him the building of the temple. In the process of leaving the temple, precinct, he uh, is when the disciples we're so impressed here, pointing out the grandeur, that magnificence of the work of Herod the Great. Luke provides more detail in Luke 21.5. It says, then as some spoke of the temple, how it was adorned with beautiful stones and donations. Because in Luke, it's a woman giving donations, and he makes a point of that. Now, the disciples of Jesus are not named here in verse 1. Mark gives us the names. Peter, James, John, and Andrew, four of them. Now the temple, notice, was built by Zerubbabel. We've gone through this before, after captivity. Herod had enlarged it and uh, beautified it, um, built a big platform, the biggest man-made platform in the world to the present day. And um, beautiful buildings. Um, it had been under construction for 46 years, um, John 2.20 tells us. And the temple was faced with polished white marble. Um, it was gold-plated. When the sun hit it, it blinded the people. When you come over the hill into Jerusalem, with some of you that were there with us, you know, it's called Jerusalem the Golden because the sun hits it. And one of the, the laws of Jerusalem is that you cannot build any building without Jerusalem stone, Davidic stone. It's kind of a brown thing, and it hits it, and it all looks gold. It's amazing. The architecture was impressive with stones weighing 100 to 180 tons each. Some measuring 20 by 40 feet long, some 50 feet long, 24 wide, 16 feet high. Some of you were there in the rabbi's temple. We were looking at, we're standing in this temple right here. That, that stone, one stone went from that point probably to where the monitor is. And, and it's about five tanks uh, in weight. And we're standing about 75 feet from the real bottom. How'd they get that sucker up there? Herod was a crazy man, great builder. 
He's just a little guy, five foot. Interesting. Now, the porches were upheld with, by pillars of solid marble of one piece, 37 and a half feet thick, um, high, thick enough that the three men were linked their arms together all the way around. Just incredible. If you've been to Washington, you have to be impressed with the buildings to give that grandeur of it, the monuments. Now, Jesus prophesied about the coming destruction of the temple. He already did this. We read it, 23, 36 to 39. Jesus declared, and Jesus said to them, do you not see all these things? Look at verse 2. Jesus had already declared the parable of the vineyard. The kingdom of God would be given to others, taken from the Jews, given to the Gentiles, meaning about the church, and uh, they would not see him again to the second coming. He said that in Matthew 21, 43, and again we read 23, 36 through 39. So this is nothing new. He keeps hitting it from different angles. Jesus revealed to the four disciples, notice, the extent of the future devastation by God's judgment in verse 2. Assuredly, I say to you, not one stone shall be left upon another that shall not be thrown down. Wow, that must have shocked them. Unimaginable that anybody could take some of these gigantic things and throw them down. But yet, it would be God's doing. In fact, um, Jeremiah 26.6 and Micah 3.12 remind us of it because Jeremiah quoted Micah that God had done this before. Remember Jeremiah 7? Jeremiah was sent to the gate there of the, of the temple. And he say, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord are these. Don't, don't be deceived thinking God can't destroy these things. He'll, he'll wipe you out. You've made the house of God a den of thieves. Wow. The word assuredly, as you know, amen, is the strongest word for negation here to express the future action in the error is passive subjunctive. It's in the beginning, uh, reliable. Uh, you can trust it. The judgment would be so thorough that not one stone would be left upon another. And look at the phrase there, thrown down. It means to demolish, to destroy. Again, he hits it from different angles. When you're trying to indicate the significance of something or the beauty of something, you're hitting with all kinds of adjectives. We, we've learned how to use adjectives from President Trump, right? <laughs> he has to be the master at it. It's amazing. Now, the temple was caught on fire, as you know, as Titus in 70 AD. And the gold melted. And they dismantled stone by stone to scrape that gold out. God's amazing. To the word, to the word. Look at verse 3 of 24. Jesus is questioning. Uh, he's questioned by the disciples. Now, as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately, saying, Tell us when shall these things be, and what will be the sign of your coming, and the end of the age. Now, Jesus went out the east gate, down the Kidron Valley, across it, into the Mount of Olives, up a little bit, and he's looking up now. He's sitting down, he's looking up to the temple. They came privately to Jesus to teach them. He's the disciples. They're, 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 they're interested, curious about these things that he's saying. They don't make sense. Because why? Remember the Jews, disciples, or Jews, right? What do they have in their mind? The age to come. The golden age, the kingdom. That's why they asked for the right and the left hand, John and James. They were sure they were going to reign. Wow. 
First question, when will these things be? Indicates the destruction of the temple. But Jesus does not answer it in, Ma in Matthew. Luke answers that. Luke records it. Matthew just declares it, but doesn't deal with it. Then, Jesus covers the entire seven years of tribulation from verse 4 to 14 in a general summary. The tribulation, first three and a half years, verse 4 to 8. The great tribulation, the last three and a half years, ending with the preaching of the gospel to the whole world, 9 through 14. 14, preaching the gospel to the whole world. Revelation tells us by an angel, we the church have failed. More people know about Pepsi-Cola and Coca-Cola than the gospel today. For the first time, people in the United States don't know about Jesus Christ, some people. Wow. Matthew's writing to the Jew, remember that. Jesus is their king. The Jew will go through the tribulation. It's to prepare them for their Messiah. You keep that in mind in context. Matthew 24 and 25 will make all the sense in the world. Now, let's look at our text 15. This is all necessary because there's so much bad. You know how many interpretations there is of Matthew 24 and 25? My Lord, Santa Maria, Mother, are you kidding me? Crazy, crazy. Now, the text of verse 15 is the middle of the tribulation. One, four through 14, he's gone through general survey. Now he comes back and fits detail. Oh, Genesis 1, boom, 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 boom. Genesis 2, detail to fit back in chapter 1. Does that sound familiar? Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken by Daniel the prophet, the declaration of Jesus was that they would witness something horrible. They would be looking at this in the future. The people would see, perceive, With their own eyes, the description notice of the things to be seen are said to be the abomination of desolation. The first word abomination means a foul, detestable thing, often identified with idolatry. It's found 67 times in the Old Testament, four times in the New Testament. Um, Matthew 24, 15, Mark 13, 14, Luke 16, 15, and Revelation 21, 7. So only four times in the New Testament. Now, The word desolation means to make um, the making of desolation, waste or ruin. So the text in, in, is in, in chapter 12 that is found of the book of Daniel. This is Jesus is quoting this. It says, and from the time that the daily sacrifice is taken away and the abomination of desolation is set up, there shall be 1,290 days. Keep that in mind. Okay, the number of days. Daniel indicates that it will take place at a time when daily sacrifices are being offered and they are stopped, which implies that there is a present temple. You can't have sacrifice without a temple. All right? Jesus had just prophesied the destruction of the temple in 7 AD. That's gone. There is no temple in Jerusalem and never has been the last 948 years. The Muslims say they will never build the Jewish temple there. And they mean it, but it's not going to happen. 
God's in control. But Daniel declares there will be a temple again in Jerusalem. And Jesus is the highest authority. He says, it's going to be a temple. Wow. Now notice Daniel also revealed that the stopping of the daily sacrifice is in order to set up the abomination of desolation. Okay? There's a substitute. Jesus is interpreting the prophecy of Daniel as still future. This can only be the action of the Antichrist, as we'll see. Now, some say that this was fulfilled by Antiochus Epiphany in the past. But Antiochus Epiphany, as you know, was the king of Syria in 168 BC, and a type of Antichrist determined to stamp out Judaism. He desecrated the temple, erecting the altar of Olympus, Zeus, sacrificed a pig on the altar, and forced the, the priest to eat pig meat. That gave rise to the Maccabean revolt, and that's where you get the whole uh, dedication of the temple uh, on the 24th of, uh, of December, the Feast of Lights, okay? Which is not a biblical calendar uh, feast. It is a historical feast when God miraculously provided the oil for the rest of the land, all right? Now, Daniel also revealed notice that there would only be 1,290 1, days left. And he says, blessed would be the one who waits till 1,335 days. You get that in Daniel 11, 12, the next verse, after the prophecy he's quoting. So those who say that Titus fulfilled what is being said by Jesus here in 70 AD, by bringing the Roman standards of the eagle, and that's what fulfilled it, then Jesus should have returned 1,290 days after 70 A.D. Which way you want it. All right? The time duration is confirmed and given to us during the tribulation period. In 42 months, Revelation 11, 1 and 13, 5. In days, 1,260 days, Revelation 11, 3. And in years, times, times, and half a time, Daniel 7, 25, Revelation 12, 6, and 14. God wants to make sure you understand it's seven years, it's divided in two, and it's based on a 360 Bible calendar year, not the Gregorian calendar. All right? Very important. Check out Genesis. 360 days in the flood of Noah. All right? Now, Paul and John say that it's still in the future. We're going to look at 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, Revelation 13. It's called Jacob's Trouble, Jeremiah 30, verse 7. Wow. Let me give you some of the titles of the Antichrist. The spoiler, the devastator, the destroyer of the Gentile, the profane wicked prince of Israel. He's quite a guy. The first mention of the Antichrist is in Genesis. The context is in opposition. As you know, Genesis 3.15. The context is the first mention of Jesus Christ, the virgin birth of him, the seed of the woman. The following mention of Antichrist, the man of sin, the seed of the serpent. Right there in the beginning. Everything's in the beginning. That's why the first 11 chapters of Genesis are the heart of the Bible. That's why it's always being attacked. Nothing new after the first 11 chapters. It's just expanded and explained. Everything there, the book of beginnings. The bruising on the head represents the fatal blow to Satan by Christ at the cross. 
and that's also the second coming. The bruise of the heel represents a temporary wound on the cross, but Jesus rose from the dead, right from the beginning. The Antichrist is found in the New Testament. The epistle of John is unique in the use of the term Antichrist, um, yet many titles and names are given to him apart from that. Um, in 1 John 2.18, the context is the last hour, and the last hour understands that the Antichrist is coming. The manifestation that there are many Antichrists already in the world. Uh, you have the Gnostics, the seem They said that matter was evil, spirit was good, therefore matter could not inhabit the spirit, spirit evil, and therefore it, it couldn't affect one another. So you can have all that you want in the physical. It doesn't affect the spiritual. What an interesting Christianity. <laughs> kind of sounds like the emergent church today. Wow. The docetists said it seemed that Jesus had a body, but he really did have a body. He was just like a phantom, didn't even let footprints on the sand. And uh, his deity came upon him at 30, left him at 33, right before the cross. Oh, how interesting. So do you just have a man dying, not God? Wow. Nothing new under the sun, huh? First John 2, 22, 23, the spirit of Antichrist is one that denies Jesus as the anointed Messiah. The spirit of Antichrist denies the Father, the Son. Therefore, it would deny the Holy Spirit also. In whatever way they want to acknowledge the spirit, it wouldn't be biblical because they deny one of the Trinity. Simple. The third mention is in 1 John 4, 3, the Antichrist spirit denies the incarnation of God in Jesus Christ at his first coming. Yet, it's very clear in John 1, 1 and 1. 14, that he became flesh. The Antichrist spirit denies the incarnation. This is the spirit of Antichrist that is coming and is already in the world, Second John 7 says, and has been. The fourth and last mention there in Second John 7, the spirit of Antichrist denies that Jesus is coming in the flesh the second time. So he denies the first coming and the second time in the flesh. The difference between false Christ and antichrist is important. The false Christ passed himself off as Christ related in ministry of Christ, 2 Corinthians 11, 13 through 15. And antichrists are totally against and in opposition to Christ, 1 John 4, 3 and 2 John 7. Big difference. So this is the person regarding the antichrist. Second comes the posture regarding the antichrist here as we move in verse 15. Standing in the holy place, whoever reads, let him understand. The horrible sight that is detestable to God is the Antichrist. Take notice of this. In the rebuilt temple, God reveals the detail to Paul. It's found nowhere else. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 1 through 12, is a passage that we have nowhere else in Scripture. God gave it to Paul. This fits right here in the context of our text. Listen carefully. In 2 Thessalonians 1 through 12, the context is that they had been deceived by spirit, word, or letter, that the rapture had taken place already, our gathering to him. That's the context in verse 1, all right? It says, let no man deceive you by any means, for that day, the day of the Lord, cannot come until there is a falling away first, and the man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition, verse 3. This starts the tribulation. When the rapture takes place and the Antichrist is revealed, it begins the tribulation period. Revelation chapter 6 all the way 
the 19th, the second coming. The beginning of sorrows and great tribulation that we are pointed out in Matthew 24, 8 and 21. Tribulation, great tribulation. The 70th week of Daniel, Daniel 9, 27. He breaks that covenant in the middle. The day of the Lord, you don't have to worry about that. 1 Thessalonians 5, 2. Why? God has not appointed us to wrath, but to salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Romans 5, 9, 1 Thessalonians 5, 9, Revelation 3, 10. Whoa, the hour. God has spoken, ladies and gentlemen, clear. We need to roll up our sleeves and study God's word. Now, in him, sin will be personified in a man proclaiming himself to be God. As to sit in the temple, and Paul had told them this when he was with them. Verse 4 through 5 of 2 Thessalonians 2. Don't you remember I told you these things? Well, listen, he was only there three weeks. Pastors said, oh, no, no, don't study the book of Revelation. Oh, no, no, I'll tell you at least 20 years. Shut up. Are you 22nd all in the Lord? Open up your Bible to Revelation. You have the mind of Christ. Roll up your sleeves. We'll work through it. Wow. Amazing to me. The restraining force of the church will be removed at the rapture, giving way to the Antichrist to appear, who Jesus will destroy with the brightness of his coming. Verse 6 through 8 of 2 Thessalonians 2 tells us. This information we don't have other places. This whole thing here. Listen to me carefully. The Holy Spirit will never be removed. Some pastors teach, oh yeah, the, the Holy Spirit will be removed with the church. Are you kidding me? The Holy Spirit convicts the world of sin and righteousness. The Holy Spirit illuminates and brings people to the new birth of Jesus Christ. There's going to be great revival after the church leaves. Many are going to be saved. It's going to cost them their life. The Holy Spirit is never removed. The church is removed. The restraining force. If we weren't here, ladies and gentlemen, woe to the world. And that's what the Bible says when we're removed. We are the brakes of this runaway car right now. We say no to abortion, pornography, all this other stuff. We say that morality and ethics are important, this and that. The world is gone. The Antichrist will have all the power of Satan, signs and wonders to deceive Jews and Gentiles who did not receive the love of the truth to be saved. Verse 9 through 10 tells us. Wow. The Jew will make a covenant with him, as we said in the middle, Daniel 9, 27. Jesus said, I have come, listen carefully, I have come in my Father's name and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, him you will receive. John 5, 43. A direct Prophecy of Jesus about the Antichrist. You rejected me, you're going to accept him. Wow. Now, the term Antichrist has a double meaning and corresponds to the twofold office during the tribulation and great tribulation. The first meaning uh, refers to the role of being in the place of Christ, anti. It appears at the beginning of the tribulation, the first three and a half years, and he's accepted instead of Christ. In place of Christ. He's accepted as their Messiah. Okay? He appears with a bow without arrows. He conquers through diplomacy. Revelation 6-2. On a white horse. False peace. Having all the solutions to the world. Now, we all... Um, um, and, 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 and please don't get your hair standing up, okay? 
but you saw how people went after Obama. We thought it was the greatest thing since ice cream. That's nothing compared to the Antichrist. The world is going to embrace this guy. He's going to have all the solutions, so it seems. When they say peace and safety, sudden destruction will come upon them as a woman with child. Ladies, you know what I'm talking about here. First Thessalonians 5, 2. The second meaning refers to the role of being against and opposed to Christ. The time will be the middle of the 70th week. Our text right here, Matthew 24, 15, and 16. He will cause the oblation and the daily sacrifice to cease. Daniel 9, 27, Matthew 24, 15. At that time, the second meaning will become a reality, being against everything and anything that stands for Christ and sets himself in the temple as God. We just read 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, right? He will make an image of himself to be worshipped and have a PR man, the false prophet, to demand that everybody be subject to him and accept him and take their, his mark on the right hand and the forehead. Revelation 13, 16 through 18. By the way, banks don't want you to deposit cash. They'll ask you if you deposit large, large cash. Where'd you get this? We're going to a cashless society pretty soon. I don't know how soon, but India is going to be the first. It's already in, 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 in steps to do that. Cashless society. See, without cash, they can trace every bit of your money. You cannot cheat the government or the world in any way. Interesting. He's backed up by the ten-nation confederacy, the ten toes of iron and clay that Daniel speaks about in chapter 2. Revelation 13 also mentions it. He will come. From the bottomless pit, the abuso, the shaft, in Revelation 17, 8, the dragon gives him his power to him, for he is the son of perdition, Revelation 13, 2. He will be resurrected, a man from the dead with a head wound, Revelation 13, 3 and 4 says. Quite impressive. The prophet Zechariah says his right eye will be darkened, his right arm will wither, Zechariah eleven seventeen through the assassination attempt of his head wound. Wow, right arm withered, right eye darkened, assassination attempt, survives it. If you're left, can't miss him. You won't miss him. Let me give you some more titles of the Antichrist in Scripture. The little horn, the prince that shall come, shall destroy. The proud man, the idle shepherd. Whoa, false shepherd. Serves himself. Um, I don't know if you know that, but there were uh, one-world conferences, many held um, in the 90s. Um, and it's all in preparation of the Antichrist. Everything is moving towards the Antichrist, the information age and everything. But let me give you some of these. The Earth Summit in Rio de Janeiro in 1992. The conference, uh, a uh, pseudo-spirituality of uh, pantheism, which is uh, being taught to our children in public schools, as well as the nationalistic capitalism is, is the cause of the world problem. So uh, the Western civilization has to be destroyed because it's capitalism, it's greed, this and that. And we're all at fault, right? Many of you and kids have been taught this and brainwashed in school. If you want to read American history, you have to read books before the 1800s, before 1900, up to the end of the 1800s. Everything starts being redacted and changed and twisted. Human Rights Conference in Vienna, 
the first, 1993. The conference was an effort to build a UN, the UN's United Nations, uh, Declaration of Human Rights. The UN Declaration of Human Rights, Article 2, reads as follows. I am quoting. I'm not making this stuff up. It says, The rights and freedoms may in no case be exercised contrary to the purpose and principles of the United Nations. Comparing this with Thomas Jefferson's statement that man is endowed with his creator with inalienable rights is a big difference. The UN Convention on the Rights of the Child they plan within as many admirable goals, same provisions, some provisions which, if strictly interpreted, give children the right to determine their own sexual autonomously form, uh, from their parents, uh, the right to watch any entertainment, um, and refuse religious instruction. This was in the 90s. I gave it to you back then. It's already a reality today. The Population Center, the conference in Cairo, 1994. The premise was that the world is racked up with overpopulation, which is causing starvation. The solution suggested were universal access to abortion and pro, 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 proactive birth control. A huge transfer of money from um, developed nations managed by the UN. Obama did this on lightning speeds. One-third of the nation's wealth went out the door. We're not even talking about the money he gave Iran, cash, on a plane. The premise that they said is incorrect for the highest population density on Earth is Singapore, where nobody's starving, and the lower population density. On the other hand, there are areas where starvation is rampant. So their theories are, are, are not consistent. The entire population of the world can be placed in the state of Texas. You might have a little spillover, but I still think you can put it in there. Listen carefully. The current population, I checked it last night, is 6.9 billion. Let's round it off. 7 billion. Okay? Got some fat babies coming. Okay? Now, Texas has at least 25 million acres minimum for public domain. Taking this figure, we can still put every family and give them an eighth of an acre with a three-bedroom house or four-bedroom house. Okay? Take another state. Pick it. Whatever you want. The rest of the world's empty. Now, I understand that not everybody wants to live in Texas, and I understand that not all of the, all of the land is livable, but I'm just kind of giving you an idea what a lie the last century has propagated and has snowed the entire world. The problem is not too many people, but it's the unwillingness to produce sufficient food and a desire to control the masses. One declared it this way. Listen carefully. This is one of the oldest tricks of political strategies, crisis management. You ever hear that? Fishhead and Obama. Crisis. Crisis management. Government creates the problem in order that the people will accept the government's solution to the problem, end of quote. The Conference on the Rights of Women at Beijing in 1995, men were portrayed as villains, uh, patriarchal, and lesbians' rights were promoted. One of the workshops of all women joined hands and prayed to Mother Earth, which mocked Orthodox Christian belief. Al Gore wrote a book, Mother Earth. Interesting. 
the Habitat II Conference in Istanbul, 1996. The summit laid out the pseudo-economics. The premise was that third world countries are so due to their exploitation by the United States and other Western nations. The concept of sustainable development, which means that the United States might have limits, caps, in its gross national product, determining a formula, dictating how much each person usually needs to sustain himself. Our own governor, the spaz over here, um, um, with Linda Ronstadt, Brown, uh, he wants to tax you on the rain that falls on your property. Too much coke. Too much coke. The objective of all these conferences is to control the masses through government solutions, ladies and gentlemen. The theory of overpopulation is a perfect example. Listen, Jacques Cousteau is dead in 97, but he said this. You're not going to believe it. We need to eliminate 350,000 people every day. These are the progressives. Pretty crazy. The shortage is not due to the lack of technology, but the lack of willingness to teach others to feed themselves. People are starving in the world not because God has not provided the resource, but due to the fact that man's greed and desire to control. Let me give you some of the ways they're controlling population today and have been for the last century onto this one. Infant, infanticide or abortion. And the conference on China was for women's rights where women have no rights to bear more than one child. Hillary headed that. 60 million babies have been aborted in the United States alone, ladies and gentlemen. That's enough for God to destroy us. Murder. Now we have a new appointment for the Supreme Court. Now Planned Parenthood comes out for the first time, says they're going to take away your abortion. First time they use that word. They're admitting they kill babies. Well, they must be real desperate. Euthanasia, that's based on the quality of life philosophy. You have a right to end your own life, and they give you dignity, and they kind of color it up and pump you up, and it's, it's murder. Dr. Kevorkia, this happens all over in Europe. It's already here in the United States under guise. Teen deaths have risen for the past 35 years or so, 300%. From 85 to 2015. That includes suicide, gangs, deaths, abuse of STDs, and everything else. Amazing. They know this. Last of all is homosexuality. It's pushed to be accepted because they can't procreate. So you're controlling it by birth control, by abortion, homosexuality, people getting married later, having less children, and some never having children at all. Wow, 100 years of indoctrination. Where's the overpopulation? I'm really not that smart. But you see it all around you. If you're not a quacking duck. This is the posture regarding the Antichrist. And you think it's bad now. Do you realize the number of people going to be killed? First, it's a fourth of the world population and a third of what's left. By the time Jesus Christ comes back, 
going to be very, not that many people in the world. Make, do your math. Not the new math, old math. <laughs> See, the new math makes your child think that you're stupid and they're smarter than you. That's why we have the new math. Once again, okay? Children are the bright ones today. Adults are the stupid ones. Wow. Third, the panic regarding the Antichrist. Verse 16. It's short. The individual, Jesus here, the individual Jesus addressing again is very important. Let's stay in the context. The people are identified as living in Judea. These are Jews, not Gentiles, not the church. This is Jewish ground. These Jews will be living under the covenant of the Antichrist, as we pointed out. And I'm being over-emphatic here, purposely, repetitively. Daniel 9.27. The evidence is throughout the chapter. The danger and urgency is identified uh, and indicated for those in, at home by not attempting to carry anything out of their home. Listen carefully. Verse 17. Let him who is on the housetop not go down and take anything out of his house. You live in Judea? No. You spend your time in your housetop? No, Jews do. Okay? Literally, to walk from roof to roof till you get to reach the gate. You read the Gospels, they tore up the roof. How'd they get up there? There's a staircase on the downside. Okay? Now, the same danger and urgency is communicated for those at work. Look at verse 18. And let him who is in the field not go back to get his clothes. Jews. Not Burbank, not Ballon Park, not Van Nuys, not New York. Israel. The context is only for Jews, confirming by the confirmed by the Sabbath. Verse twenty. And pray that your flight is will not be in the winter or on the Sabbath. How many of you worry about the Sabbath? By the way, the Sabbath is Friday sundown to Saturday sundown, not Saturday. If you're really going to keep it. Notice the period of time is identified also. This is the three, the last three and a half years of abomination. Uh, from the abomination of desolation we're speaking about. For then there will be great tribulation. What does he say? Great tribulation such as has not been since the beginning of the world until this time, nor ever shall be. Verse 21. Never like it. Horrible. The focus is the Jewish remnant. Look at verse 22. And unless those days were shortened, no flesh would survive or be saved. But for the elect's sake, they, those days will be shortened. The elect's sake. Who are the elect? In context. Jews. Context, context, context. You can't stick the church in there. They've been gone seven years before by the end of the seven years. Look at 31. The gathering of the Jews will be at the end of the seven. And he will send his angels with a great sound of the trumpet and will gather together his elect from the four winds from heaven to the others. Verse 31. The Jews, not the church, not the Gentiles. Were there going to be Gentiles? Yes, but Jesus is focusing on the Jew. Now, last, look at the individual's are instructed where to flee. Flee to the mountains. Isaiah the prophet gives us this location. Isaiah 16, 1. Send, send the lamb to the ruler of the land from Selah to the wilderness, to the mountain of the daughter of Zion. Selah is Petra, rock. Verse of Isaiah 16, verse 3, says, Take counsel 
execute judgment, make your shadow like the night in the middle of the day. Hide the outcasts. Do not betray him who escapes. Ooh. Israel escapes from the Antichrist. The mercy of God is revealed in the refuge for the few in Petra. Petra was originally the city of the Edomites. Esau, the descendants of him. His brother is Jacob, Israel. Then in verse 4 of Isaiah 16, Let my outcasts dwell with you, O Moab. Be a shelter to them from the face of the, listen, spoiler. That's the Antichrist. For the executioner is at end, at an end, devastation ceases, the oppressors are consumed out of the land. Very, very clear. In fact, John the Beloved also gives us this detail to confirm it as Israel flees in Revelation 12, 1 through 6. Listen carefully. John identifies the woman clearly. Now a great sign appears in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a garland of 12 stars. Verse 1 of chapter 12, Revelation. Joseph's dream identifies us as the nation of Israel in Genesis 37, 8 to 10. Okay? Verse 2, the woman gives birth to a son. Then being with child, she cries, uh, she cried out in labor and in pain, to give birth. Let me suggest it's the Messiah. As we read on, it'll confirm it's the Messiah. Verse 3, the enemy Satan also appears. And another sign appears in heaven. Behold, a great fiery red dragon having seven heads and ten horns and seven diadems in his head. Does that sound like Daniel chapter 2 and Daniel chapter 7? The ten toes, the ten nation confederacy. And then in verse 4, Satan's rebellion in heaven and his attempt to destroy the Messiah. Jesus, listen, his tail drew a third of the stars from heaven and, and threw them to the earth. That's the rebellion taking a third of the angels. And the dragon, Satan, stood before the woman who was ready to give birth to devour her child as soon as it was born. As soon as Jesus was born, Satan tried to destroy Jesus all the time. Okay, now listen, verse 5. The identity of the child is unmistakable. She bore a male child who was to rule all nations with the rod of iron, and her child was caught up to God at his throne. Jesus ascended from the Mount of Olives, right where we're taking our text, and he ascended up to heaven. Wow. The flight of the remnant of Israel at the abomination of desolation is confirmed under God's protection. Verse 6 of Revelation 12, listen. Then the woman fled into the wilderness where she was uh, a place prepared by God that they should feed her there. Listen, 1,260 days. That means there's 30 more days to the the, uh, 1,290 days of Daniel. And then there's 35 more days, maybe the judgment of the nation that fits in there. But the numbers match up. Now, Hosea 13.9 says this. O Israel, you are destroyed, but your help is from me. She rejected it all the time. Zechariah 12, 10 through 14, and 14, 3 through 9. The Lord will pour out a spirit of grace and supplication, and they will look on him whom they have pierced. God will destroy the armies of the world and establish the kingdom on the earth. His foot will hit the Mount of Olives. It will cleave in two. Wow. 
some more titles of the Antichrist. The man of sin, the son of perdition, the mystery of iniquity, the liar, Abaddon, Apollyon, angel of the bottomless pit, dragon, old serpent, the beast. You think he's a stranger to scripture? <laughs> Not at all, ladies and gentlemen. The preparation for the Antichrist is more at work today than ever before. For the UN's vision consists of indoctrinational classes of the three E's. Listen carefully. I'm not making this up. You can go on the website. Environment, three E's. Environment, which focuses on the creation rather than the creator. Economics, which focuses on world banks. Equality, which focuses on putting everything on equal level, a contradiction to diversity. The word diversity means different, not equal. Duh. You don't need college degree. You just have to use your brain. First Thessalonians 5.3, for when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction come upon them as labor pain for a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. The political correctness is to not offend people and to silence truth and common sense, giving emphasis to your race, culture, language, to give you a sense of importance, but in reality it divides you. There's only one identity God gives you. You ready for it? Not that hard. Male and female. God could care less whether you're black, white, green, blue, pink. Could care less if you're born in Mexico, China, Burbank, or anything else. Male and female. No mistake. Real simple. America has already been a melting pot of nationalities, each maintaining their own language and culture. But the difference between the present and the past is people always assimilated. They were proud to be Americans. When they raised their right hand, they cried after they knew they were Americans. Today, they want a piece of America and change it. They don't want to go to Europe. They don't want to Europe. They want to make the United States like Europe. Socialists, Marxists. We're the church, ladies and gentlemen. We're not to be as dumb as the world. Okay? Now, we live in the world, but not of the world. All right? So I'm not here to preach politics. I'm telling you what politics is saying and doing. All right? Under the guise of truth. Today, the emphasis is on your focus on your national identity to limit you and to destroy your patriotic devotion to America. If you are um, bilingual education, it's the worst. It limits you for the preparation of your work in the future. It costs three, four times as much as regular education. It's amazing. Listen to very carefully, okay? The Democratic Party wants to forget and ignore Theodore Roosevelt's view of immigration. I'm going to read you what he believed about immigration. Listen carefully, okay? In the first place, we should insist that if the immigrants who comes here in good faith becomes an American and assimilates himself to us, he shall be treated on an exact equality with everyone else. For it is an outrage to discriminate against any such man because of creed, birthplace, or origin. But this is predicated upon the person's becoming in every facet an American and nothing but American. There can be no divided allegiance here. Any man who says he is an American but something else also isn't an American at all. We have room for but one flag, the American flag. We have room for but one language here, and that is the English language. And we have room for but one sole loyalty, and there's a loyalty to American people. Wow. 
politically correctness and education. I can go on and on. I better stop. You get the gist, ladies and gentlemen? You understand the text of Matthew 24? Jewish ground. God has not appointed us to wrath, but the salvation of our Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Because you believe that Jesus is God, the Son of God who died for you and paid the price for your sins. Wow. This is the panic regarding the Antichrist. When they see they're deceived, man, they're out of there. And so, the warning of Jesus to the Jewish nation about the Antichrist's deception. The person regarding the Antichrist, the posture regarding the Antichrist, and the panic regarding the Antichrist. One, two, three. He lays it out. Man. Are you looking for Jesus Christ or Antichrist? It's very important. It's like reality. Location, location, location. All right? Heaven, hell. Location, location, location. You get to decide where you live for eternity. Hell or heaven, based on Jesus Christ. Lord, thank you for your grace, your loving goodness. We love you. We thank you. We pray, Lord, that you continue to deal with our hearts, and we thank you for your word and just um, your goodness to us, Lord. And we thank you for America, Lord. We thank you for the freedom we have. It's not a perfect country. There's much evil. We deserve judgment. But, Lord, there's nowhere else like America. So we thank you. And, Lord, help us to be loyal to you, not a country, not a group of people, but you, Lord, and that we may be that light to those around us. As you're praying, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, God has brought you here to be saved, to turn around, to repent of your sins. Maybe you're in the balcony or the floor. Maybe you're over the Internet. God died for you. Jesus paid the price, and he rose from the dead. And if you believe that you're a sinner and that God's wrath is upon you, but that his wrath can be removed from you if you believe that he bore the wrath of God for you, paying the price for your sin, then you can call upon him and ask him to forgive you, and he will save you right now. This is your prayer if you want to be born again. Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. I ask you to forgive me for all my sins. Give me a brand new heart. Baptize me with the Holy Spirit. I accept you as my Savior and Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.